Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uintaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 119. Uh, today, we have a, a very exciting and unique uh, perspective that we're bringing to the podcast. I have Rachel Wagner uh, with Rachel Wagner Etiquette and Protocol, and I'm excited to bring to her to you because uh, the things that she does and, and what she specializes in, I, I think, are some things that are in leadership, maybe glossed over a little bit or not something that we think about all the time in terms of uh, leadership training or growing as a leader. And so I'm really excited to kind of share some of the things that she does in her business to help train uh, business leaders and employees be better at etiquette and to be better at presenting themselves to customers, to clients, and just in general, uh, because I think this is actually a really important element to our leadership journey. Rachel Wagner is a licensed corporate etiquette and international protocol consultant, trainer, and keynote speaker. After being trained at the esteemed Protocol School of Washington in Washington, D.C., Rachel founded her Bixby, Oklahoma-based business etiquette firm, Rachel Wagner Etiquette and Protocol, in 2007. Rachel empowers professionals with the business etiquette tools needed to communicate with confidence, presence, and influence. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience. And if you can tell them a little bit more about yourself. Well, hello, everyone. And I want to thank you, Evan, for having me on your podcast today. I'm really excited to share uh, a little bit about what I do and how it's beneficial for leaders, especially young leaders, just starting their careers or moving up the career ladder. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to jump right into kind of uh, what etiquette and protocol is, because I think we all have a general idea of it. But seeing as this is something that you specialize in daily, I'd love to get your definition of it and what it means to you. Well, I think of manners, etiquette and protocol is really rules of polite behavior. Sometimes people don't like the word rule. So maybe we'll use the word standards of polite behavior. Maybe that mm -hmm. comes across a little bit uh, easier. So really what it is, um, is just knowing how to have relationships in the workplace with coworkers, uh, with people in the community, with other businesses that reflect professionalism in all areas of your interactions. So when we're talking about professionalism, I feel like that's even a broad term too, because I my view of professionalism may be like maybe too professional for somebody. And then there'd be in other instances where it's not professional enough. So is there a way to kind of read a room or to kind of gauge how professional you should be? Or is, is there kind of a, a rule of thumb, if you will, that uh, you should always kind of at a minimum be at a certain level? Does that make sense? It makes sense. And the way I would respond to that is you always want to be above what maybe other people do. I was doing a training session yesterday session yesterday for an aviation company. And one of the things I shared with them, hey, you can be good or you can be great. Anybody can be good, but how much better it is to be great in your professionalism, because that's what people notice. That's what gives you a leg up. That's what helps outclass the competition. So yes, you can, it, it depends maybe on your setting, your situation. You know, if you're in a, a more a casual setting, you may be acting more casual, but maybe that's not exactly what you should be doing because you mm. always want to have a professional presence because in any type of business setting, people are always observing you, people are watching you, and your professional image is always on display. So it's really good to have it, not just good, 
but to have it great. Well, I'd love to kind of get a little bit of a history of what drew you to this. Um, and obviously you went to a, a very prestigious school to learn about this. So um, kind of tell me a little bit about your origin stories. What what was kind of the path to, to getting to where you are today? Well, that's a good question. Thank you for asking. Actually, for much of my earlier career, I was a classroom teacher. Uh, in particular, the last few years was teaching eighth grade English. And I love teaching. That's why I still love teaching. But I, it was just like, okay, these are long hours, grading papers all evening, doing lesson plans. And at some point, I was, you know, I think sometimes people know they're kind of ready for a change, something different. But I didn't know just what it would be until I saw an article in the Wisconsin State Journal. We were living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. And there was an article about a woman who had gone to the Protocol School of Washington, where I ended up going, and she was teaching etiquette classes in Madison, Wisconsin at that time. And I knew at that point when I saw the article, I want to do this someday. And then about that same time, my husband and I went on our first cruise, and I had never sat down to such an impressive but intimidating array of silverware. And on one hmm. of the first days at sea, there was an activity, one of the classes offered was a class on understanding a formal place setting. So, of course, that's exactly where I went. And I thought to myself, when I saw the person teaching it, I thought, I want to do this. And mm. the rest is history. And, of course, biz business etiquette is not just dining etiquette. But that's really, those were really two things that really moved me forward in that little, um, those little times of knowing I was ready for a career change. And the good thing about it is I'm still teaching. I love to teach. I was teaching eighth graders. Now I'm teaching corporate professionals. So I still get to do what I love to do, and that's teaching. It's just a different subject now. It's business mm -hmm. etiquette. So then after that, I guess the rest of that story was then uh, I ended up going to the Protocol School of Washington. We had moved to Tulsa about that time. So I went mm -hmm. out there in D to D.C. in 2007 received their training, their licensing. And this is also a protocol school where ambassadors, heads of state, uh, protocol officers that are in internal companies who have protocol officers, this is where they go and get licensing. So uh, I, was very, uh, I was very fortunate to be able to go there and get my training and licensure. That's awesome. So when you watch, like, I would, I would guess something like the Royal wedding or something like that. So you're just eating that up, right? I mean, are you trying to get some, uh, some tips and tricks from, uh, what's going on in those, those very formal events? Well, I'm always, I always enjoy observing things like that. And because of what I teach, I probably observe with a little sharper eye than maybe others do, mm -hmm. uh, because I enjoy seeing what's done because there's a etiquette and protocol is a very broad topic. It certainly relates to business, but of course there's social edit etiquette as well, which, you know, the Royal wedding would be. So yes, all of that genuinely interests me. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm I'm glad that you talked a little bit earlier about uh, like the whole place setting because I know that uh, like the eating etiquette is a is a very uh, popular topic for you, especially like you said when you go to a very formal meal and you have like you know three forks and spoons and multiple glasses and everything else. And I think in some cases for some people that could be overwhelming or that might be intimidating for them. So your goal is to kind of equip them so that when they are in a situation like that, they don't necessarily feel out of place, which I think can over then flow to their conversations with potential clients. It can overflow to the, 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 the people that they're entertaining. And then that ultimately says a lot about you, right? Absolutely. 
In fact, Evan, the most requested training topic for leadership teams that I get and corporate groups is they bring me in to do my dining etiquette session that's called the Art of Business Dining. Because a lot of business today is still conducted over meals. Uh, it's people, that's where people strengthen and build relationships over meals. And companies realize that their employees' dining etiquette skills have to be on par, really, with their other professional skills. So the dining table, in a way, I tell them when I'm doing these training sessions, the dining table is like a great stage. And when you're there representing your company or your organization, again, your image and your professionalism are on display. People are observing you. They're going to notice if you have really great manners. They're also going to notice if your manners are somewhat poor. So really knowing how to present yourself at a business meal, whether you've been invited by someone else and you're their guest or perhaps you're representing your company as a host, all of that is a vital part of good business etiquette. And essentially, when you think about it, there's probably no worse or better place to make an impression when you're at that business meal because people really are observing you. And they're not just observing how you eat, right? I think... uh, um, I want to say there's there's some like larger corporations when they're talking about culture and they're talking about hiring for culture, a lot of times they will take somebody out to eat that is a prospective employee for them or a, or a prospective team member. And they watch how they eat, but they also watch how they interact with the people around them. And I think in some cases, um, they'll actually have the restaurant make a mistake with the the order of the actual person. And then they're going to sit back and see how that person responds. And it kind of gives them some real world feedback of what happens when things maybe don't go the way of that particular person. Do you, do you kind of address some of those things too, in terms of how you interact with everybody or is it primarily just, you know, the order of the food and the, and the, uh, settings and, and just, you know, posture and those kinds of things? We go through, it's a great question, Evan. I go through usually the bit, the dining etiquette, etiquette course is about two and a half hours mm-hmm. and we go through f- a four course meal, a soup, salad, entree, and dessert. That's what most clients will choose to do. And yes, we cover the place setting because first of all, you have to understand the place setting because mm-hmm. you don't want to commandeer your neighbor's water glass or their bread plate uh, <laughs> unknowingly. Uh, so we do share about that. And I share, interestingly, a lot of people don't hold their silverware correctly and that can give a poor impression of them. And even though people have eaten you know, thousands of meals, a lot of people just have never learned the correct way to even hold their silverware and use it uh, American style. So I mm. go through American style dining using the silverware and a, and continental style because a lot of times companies uh, will send employees abroad to do business. So you want to know that I teach them the continental method as well so that they don't feel out of place when they're uh, representing their company abroad. But in addition to that, to answer the rest of your question, yes, there's much more than just understanding the place setting. One of the things I share are the responsibilities if you're hosting, you're, you're a designated table host, but also uh, if you're the guest. So you have to know, okay, who picks up their fork first to start each course? Who puts their napkin in the lap first? Uh, if you're ordering from a menu, how do you know what's appropriate to order? Um, you know, if, if you're the host and your guest orders two courses and you are only going to order a main course, Oops, do you want to be eating one want them to be eating one of their courses alone? We go through all of those types of things as far as hosting guest duties. And that includes table conversation as well. We talk about um, you know, how to interact with people at the table, the appropriate time to segue from small talk 
into the business talk. And generally that's after you've ordered and the menus have been collected. And then, you know, that's the right time to, well, thank you so much for joining me for this meal. Here's what I wanted to talk with you about, whatever. So we talk about all of those types of things too. Um, in addition to that, we talk about some common dining dilemmas that happen. Like what, if you get the wrong order, you know, how do we take care of that? Because a lot of times the impression that a guest, how they interact with a server mm -hmm. gives a company an indication of how this person may, if it's an interview meal, how this person might interact if they were in a situation with a client or a customer. Uh, we, you hear the term today, emotional intelligence, and sometimes mm -hmm. emotions, uh, how we deal with some of those emotions in a situation where something is wrong and, and things can happen in a restaurant intentionally or unintentionally, but it's how we deal with it, how, how respectful and courteous we are in dealing with that situation, how respectful we are in getting the server's attention to let them know there was a mistake. You know, how do we deal with that? We talk about all those things there. And a lot of times at a meal, People uh, have difficult to eat food, so we talk about that in the session, too. In fact, I talk about not ordering difficult-to-eat foods <laughs> at a business meal. You know, don't, don't order spaghetti, don't order uh, ribs, things like that. Uh, enjoy those when you're just out for a social setting because when you're having difficult-to-eat foods, people are watching what, how you're eating, and they're not really paying attention to the conversation. So there's a lot that we talk about uh, in that session uh, that I feel people have great takeaways and they indicate to me, you know, that they're, some of their great takeaways are in just dealing with some of those dilemmas that come up and just understanding their responsibilities as a guest or a host. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's a form of communication. And uh, if we can kind of control some of those things that we're communicating verbally and non-verbally, I think that gives people an overall better picture of kind of who we are as a person. And then that's where we're talking about building that relationship and building that trust. I've been blown away by uh, the value that going to see a client in person has versus a phone call, an email, uh, or, or anything else. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely a need for having that personal relationship and, and having a, a sit down meal is definitely a great way uh, to commune with a person and build that relationship. I, I, I do wonder though a little bit, and I know I don't want to, you know, ask you all your questions about, you know, your two hour session, but I am curious because I, I feel like there's, there's definitely a time where you can kind of like um, walk that line of being like overly professional to the where it may be perceived as fake versus, um, you know, being personable and real. And it, there might be kind of a thin line right there. How, how would you encourage somebody to obviously be professional and, and present that way, but then also be a real um, kind of laid back type person too? Cause I, I, I would think that like my personality, I'm more of a laid back person. I'm not the most like prim and proper but in some cases, that's a strength for me. And I know definitely that there's, there's other people that are a lot more unprofessional, but for some reason, they just, they really connect well with people. So how do we find that balance? Well, I, it's a good question, Evan. There's really two things there, I think, uh, that I can divide. One thing is when you're in a business setting versus when you're in a more casual setting. I think number one, we have to realize that either way, you are still representing your company, your organization. So you have to know, okay, how casual can I be but still be professional? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it might mean, uh, let's say, for example, at the end of a meal, like, you know, everybody knows not to put your elbows on the table, but there is a time you can do that. And mm-hmm. that make it that's at the end of the meal when all the dishes have been cleared and maybe you and your clients or your business partners that you're building relationships with, it's, it can be more casual then. You can rest your elbow and your forearms on the table to talk, you know, continue that conversation. But yet you have to still re- you know, know that you're representing your company and organization and not let your guard down because people, um, it can, it still can affect your image and you don't mm-hmm. want to diminish the professional image by being too casual. It's better to, to err on a little side of formality not being, you know, depending on the setting, if you're in a more casual restaurant, you can maybe be a little more casual versus if you're in a a more formal fine dining restaurant, you don't want to be casual because (laughs) you're in a setting, you don't want to act too casual because again, you're just giving an impression of yourself and every employee, every business person is representing their company or organization. They're the face of the company. So I think there, you just have to guard against not diminishing your professionalism uh, because you want to make it more casual. And I think the casualness can come a little bit more in just having a congenial conversation, Mm -hmm. uh, building the relationship that way versus being too casual in uh, your dining etiquette and your manners in that way. Uh, And, and being congenial in, in the conversation means, yes, you want to be interested in the other person, ask them about themselves, get them talking about themselves. And that way you're building the relationship, but you're still being professional, even if you're in uh, a more formal dining setting. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you answering that because I, 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 as I kind of th- reflect back on some of the interactions that I've had in terms of first impressions, but then also uh, kind of additional uh, meetings with with uh, either partners that we have or clients that we service. It's um, I, I've noticed that there's definitely a lot of them that are just very, and I, when I say unprofessional, I don't, that, that sounds like I'm, I'm talking down about them. It's, it's not that they're just, they're just, that's, you know, that's the way that they are. And uh, in some cases they kind of want you to kind of, you know, banter back and forth with them and, and kind of connect with them at that level. And so uh, I'm always curious to kind of hear kind of all sides of it. And I, and I think that over time, um, it's good to differentiate maybe like a first impression etiquette and protocol. And then maybe as you're kind of building that relationship and as you kind of get to know them better and, and they kind of know the full picture of who you are as a company and what you represent and what you do, I think um, maybe then it, 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 it kind of uh, allows you to be a little bit more casual, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, because first of all, like you said, there's there's that first impression where you're you're not wanting to let your guard down. In fact, some research I shared with my uh, tra- training event I had this week. Uh, I'll give the source. It's Amy Cuddy. She's a psychologist at the Harvard School of Business School. And this just came out in March, and her research showed that when we make first impressions of people, we make snap judgments about other people that answer two primary questions. And this really goes back to that first impression of being professional. The first Mm -hmm. question that we make a snap judgment on is, can I trust this person? And then the second question we ask is, can I respect this person's capabilities? And then she went on to say that 80 to 90% of that first impression is based on those two traits. 
And the reason I share that is because, yes, when you're first meeting someone, the, we think they're going to you know, connect with us because of our capabilities, but they really are looking for ways they can trust us. Mm-hmm. And professionalism is part of how they trust us. You know, are we courteous? Are we respectful? And if we're, if we're too casual in that first meeting, then that affects maybe the perception that they can trust us or not. So then to your point, yes, after you get to know someone and you've built rapport, you've built more of a relationship, then, hey, then you can do that bantering because you know each other on a different level at that point. But it's sometimes not good to do that too much early on if you're trying to have that person build trust in you. And I thought that the statistics, her research was interesting, uh, which is why I shared that. And then we have to sometimes ask, well, what causes a person to have trust in us when they first meet us? What are the characteristics Mm -hmm. that reflect trust? And usually it's, we're professional, we let them talk, we don't do all the talking, you know, and that we're, we're just being respectful in every way. And part of that is just you know, just the language we use and, and how much interest we show in the other person and what they're doing and what, uh, what their, what their business is. And then they're thinking, gosh, this is a great person. Uh, I think I can trust them. Then they're interested in learning about what we do and our capabilities. So I thought it was a a very interesting bit of research that sometimes people don't think about. And I think it just goes back to your question of, you know, being, if we banter and are too casual in that first meeting with someone, it may diminish their, uh, their respect in us because they don't know if they can trust us. They're looking for ways they can trust us. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because kind of when I think about when I first got started kind of in a more professional type role, um, I was, a, I was young. Um, and so I feel like I, I definitely felt like I was at a disadvantage, uh, walking into some of these more, uh, professional situations just because of how, uh, I looked in terms of just, I, I looked like a kid still. And so <laughs> it, it would, it would, it would kind of crack me up. Cause I, everyone, you know, people at some point would ask me how old I was and I would tell them and they they would tell me how, how I was still a young pup and, and everything else. And I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that there was always going to be people older than me and there was always going to be people younger than me. And so I just kind of have to own it with, with, uh, you know, with what it was, but I think with professionalism and etiquette, I think that you can start to maybe overcome some of those things that you have a disadvantage with or perceived disadvantage with, with being young by ultimately acting professional and having proper etiquette. And that's going to help bridge that gap of uh, trust and respect like you were talking about. Because when I think about the audience, I think about, you know, you know, somebody in their mid 20s, they're listening to this and they're going, OK, I, I, I do need to. Uh, really take some of this stuff into consideration because when I walk into a room, they're not going to trust me just because I look young. So how can I communicate that? Um, one of the things that I think of is dressing for success or dressing for the job that you want to have and and trying to kind of apply that to that professionalism that we're trying to communicate. Um, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, when people say dress for the job you want to have or dress for success, what is that communicating? Uh, and is that maybe a good, uh, thing to kind of implement as you're kind of starting your leadership journey? It certainly is, Evan. Uh, we hear, everybody's heard the expression dress for success. And 
truly it is part of good business etiquette to have to be dressed appropriate for the job. And it's also critical uh, for the job that you aspire to have because what you wear to work, what you wear to work-related events, and actually every detail of your appearance says a lot about you and it communicates a lot about you. And when we talk about first impressions, it can also give a person an immediate and lasting impression to the people that you meet. And again, we've, we hear the, the term image is everything. And that mm-hmm. really is true when you think about dress for success. And here's the thing, when you're out, here's the research also says when your outward appearance gives a good first impression, it affects people's perceptions about you. And mm. what happens is people automatically assume then, if your outward appearance is good, that you possess other qualities, other talents, other skills, other abilities that are good. In fact, uh, Michael Levine, he's an author, he wrote about it in his book called Guerrilla PR. He calls it the Tiffany theory. He says, uh, if you give someone a present in a blue Tiffany bag, it's likely they're going to perceive the gift to have a higher value than if you presented it to them in a different bag. So what he's saying is, you know, what happens here is we ultimately make decisions about people based on our first impression, how dressed, how they look professionally dressed. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that people, people have to pay, you know, thousands of dollars for designer clothes. But really what it means is that we have to take seriously what we wear to work, what we wear to work events. Because when we're dressing professionally, we're really making a statement that says two things. It says, I respect myself, and that's something we always want to convey. But Mm -hmm. it also says, I want others to respect me and take me seriously. So I say to any young leader who's aspiring to move up the ladder, think about what your boss or the higher-ups wear. Notice what they wear. And, and if you dress professionally and aspire to maybe move up into posi- higher positions, if you dress professionally in the position you're in, those higher ups are more likely to think that you'll dress appropriately for higher levels and positions. Mm. Well, um, I think that that Tiffany explanation is, is a fantastic analogy for this because as you were kind of talking about that, that perceived value when we talk about people's imagination and how they kind of Mm -hmm. look at something, like you said, it starts communicating a lot of things that we're not even thinking about, but ultimately there, it kind of gives them a full, full picture, if you will, of who they think you are. And then it's your job to live up to that. And hopefully Mm -hmm. you do, but I I think it's, uh, it's really setting yourself up for success by kind of knocking down some of those initial barriers right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we do judge people by what they wear before, but, and we do that, and they, the person who maybe is less professionally dressed may have the same gifts, talents, and abilities as the person who's dressed more professionally, but we make that first judgment on how they're dressed, and sometimes we don't take the opportunity to take it the step further to get to know really what's inside that person based on just what they're wearing. And again, it doesn't mean you have to have designer clothes. It just means that you are dressed. It just boils down to, you know, being dressed professionally in a sense that, you know, I say some of the things that affect women are they wear things that are too tight, show too much skin, that type of thing, which affects how you are perceived. And a lot of times the the faux pas that men make dressing professionally 
they wear things that are too wrinkled or are too are just not in a aren't appropriate for the position that they hold you know it's mm. they they're dressing lower than the position that they have so i i just try to let people know it's it's not having designer clothes it's just dressing appropriately for the position you have and i even say hey even have your shoes polished because if you're at an interview and you've got scuff shoes, you know, then you could be perceived as a person who doesn't pay attention to details. I mean, it's just mm. little things like that. So really, it just kind of boils down to before you go to work or before you go to a work event, you just ask yourself the question, hey, considering the job I'm going to today, considering the event that I have that I'm going to to represent my job, is this item I'm looking at in my closet appropriate for me to wear? So if people kind of ask that question to themselves, then they end up going to the event dressed appropriately and looking professional, which is something they owe to themselves and they owe it to others too. And would it be fair to say that if you're unsure, just take it up maybe one notch higher than you think it is, and then it's better to be overdressed than underdressed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've talked about food, which has made me hungry. We've also <laughs> talked about uh, how you dress. I want to talk a little bit about how you act, because I think that uh, body language, I think, is a big part of this as well. And I've been a, uh, I've been a slightly obsessed with some YouTube videos of people reading uh, people's body language, especially like when you know that they're lying or you know that they're trying to communicate something, whether they believe it or don't believe it. I'd, I'd be really curious to kind of get uh, maybe some some thoughts that you have about what our body language communicates and what are maybe some things that we can do uh, with our body language to continue to uh, uh, communicate that professionalism and uh, that respect that we're trying to accomplish. Well, body language certainly is part of uh, conveying professionalism, Evan. So, and it's a topic that I cover. I, my second most requested session that businesses bring me in for is my networking session. And it's about uh -huh. another two and a half hour session where we go through lots of things that you would do at a meet and greet event, introducing yourself to others, making small talk, et cetera, giving your business card. But we also spend a bit of time talking about body language in that session. And the reason I cover it is because sometimes people don't have an awareness that their body language is sending messages to mm -hmm. others around them that actually speak louder than what our words are. We don't realize sometimes the nonverbal messages that our body is sending. Uh, and actually what you wear is part of your body language. But in addition to that, it's our gestures, it's our expression, it's our tone of voice, it's our handshake, it's nervous mannerisms. And the important thing to remember is that we want our body language to match what we're saying. For example, you might be having a conversation with someone in a meet and greet event and sharing, you know, maybe about your business and what you're doing. But if your body language is sending a different message that you're nervous, that person won't hear a thing you're saying because they're paying attention to what your body language is saying. Mm. And in fact, uh, at a chamber event, I recall a speaker who was sharing, I'm sure, some really great things but she kept tugging at the buttons on the front of her jacket. And so I didn't hear anything she said because <laughs> my eyes kept going to her nervousness, her nervousness that was coming through her body language. So every time mm -hmm. she would touch her jacket buttons, it's like I stopped listening to what she was saying. So we have to, we, we perceive people by their body language and sometimes uh, it can give a poor impression, but we want it to enhance 
our ability to connect and build rapport with people versus to hinder that ability. So some of the positive body language signals we can give, uh, first of all, is to stand up straight, have good posture. In fact, sometimes people don't realize that, that that's an important part of good body language. But when you think about it, sometimes if you're at an event, you're at a, maybe it's a networking or a business social and someone walks in the room that really carries themselves well, good posture, we notice, we notice it just, it's like, "Mm, there's something about it that makes Mm -hmm. us impressed with that. So it's basically goes back to standing up straight, have good posture, head up, shoulders back. And what happens when you have an awareness of that, it makes you feel more confident, actually. And it helps you to convey confidence through your body language. Another body language signal that is positive is our eye contact with people. We want to make sure that we're giving them good eye contact, and the percentage of good eye contact is the 40 to 60%. If we give people less than less contact, eye contact than that, they generally perceive that we're not interested in what they're saying. But if we give them more eye contact than that, sometimes they feel like they're under a microscope, they're being scrutinized. <laughs> so we want to kind of just do about 40 to 60% of the time as we're having a conversation with someone. Mm. Um, another part of body language is if you lean. Now, leaning can be positive and negative. You A negative would be if you lean against a chair, lean against a pillar in the room, lean against the wall. Those could all be negative because it makes you look nervous and not having confidence. But let's say you're having a conversation with someone and you lean in slightly. Mm-hmm. If you do that, it helps build rapport and it shows that you're enjoying the conversation. Now, sometimes you have to lean in a bit because the room may be noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just leaning in slightly can let the other person know that you're enjoying the conversation with them. But I always warn no early leans because the person might feel like you're invading their personal space. So when you're having a conversation, your body language, your, uh, your distance from the other person should be about an arm's length. And that's where people feel comfortable in a social setting as well as a business setting as far mm-hmm. as uh, uh, having that conversation with them. Another body language signal that people need to have an awareness of is head nodding. And people sometimes don't realize that they're like a bobblehead and that can make them look a little bit nervous and it looks unprofessional as well. But if you do some gentle nodding and when you're having a conversation with someone, generally it lets the person know that you're listening, you're agreeing, and again, that you're enjoying that conversation with them. A couple of other negative aspects of body language. Let's go back to the eye contact a moment. You've probably been in a situation where you're talking with someone and they tend to start looking past you like they're looking around in the room for someone more uh, more important to talk to. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that happens at a lot of networking events. I yeah. realize I'm not the most important person in the no, room. No, and it's not that. It's that people, um, well, there's that's kind of uh, a little rabbit trail to another topic about how to disengage with a conversation with someone, how to do it graciously and courteously if you feel like they're ready to move on or maybe they're too chatty and you want to move on. But, um, but looking past the person uh, really is not something you want to do. And another thing is that people tend to show nervousness with their body language and their arms and their hands. 
-hmm. It's one of the first places people do the nervousness. And when you think about the woman who was touching her jacket when she was speaking, again, she was showing that through her arms and her hands. Another thing we do, men will tend to put their hands in their pockets or they'll Mm -hmm. even put their thumbs in their pockets, but it makes them look nervous and it doesn't look professional. Uh, Sometimes people will, uh, men will jingle the change in their pocket. Again, it's unprofessional. You uh, also, you want to avoid chewing gum. That's part of a nervous looking body language. And it's not appropriate probably to chew gum when you're in a a business setting, talking to someone. Mm -hmm. So people say, well, what should we do with our arms and our hands? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Yes. (laughs) The best thing to do is just to have them relaxed at your side. Now you may be holding a portfolio or a beverage in one hand. And by the way, your beverage always goes in your left hand. So your right hand is always ready for a handshake. Okay. But also, yes, but also if you just have an awareness, I'm going to keep my arm or both arms, you're not holding anything, just have them relaxed at your side. And it just gives an impression of confidence and warmth. So that's really what you want to do with your arms and hands. Probably the, uh, the one other thing I might mention here is you see sometimes people will fold their arms across their chest. Now, this can be positive and it can be negative. It can be negative in the sense that it makes you look closed off and people mm-hmm. don't feel like they can approach you. It makes you feel look unapproachable. But let's say, for example, uh, you were speaking with someone who has a higher rank or status than you. You were, were introduced to them. You're having a little conversation. And let's say this person folds their arms across their chest. If you do it discreetly, of course, the same thing, this is called mirroring. Mm-hmm. And mirroring is, is just having the same body language as the other person. And what happens, it just helps build rapport because the other person thinks you're more like them. But you only want to do this with someone who has a higher rank or position than you. And another example of mirroring might be um, if they speak fast and you normally don't, you want to pick up your rate of speed to match theirs. If they speak mm-hmm. more slowly then you want to reduce your rate of speed to match theirs. And again, it's, it's called mirroring, and it just helps build rapport with the person you're speaking with. So those are really some things involving body language, you know, that can send negative or positive messages. And I just tell people, if you have an awareness of it, then you're more likely to think about it when you're in a, in a setting. And probably another one is when you're having a conversation in, let's say, a networking event, if you're talking with one or two people, to stand in an open V formation. Sometimes people stand too close together. They're facing each other, and it makes you look like you're not approachable for someone if they want, if someone else wanted to come up and greet you or say hello. So we always want to be aware that we're standing in more of a V formation. So there's an opening, and that opening allows others to feel like, oh, they're approachable. That's a friendly little group. I can approach them and go say hello or introduce myself. So that's just another awareness of body language that sometimes people just don't think about. Yeah. And what I've noticed is sometimes when you have that V formation, somebody else will come in and then they like, or they're almost like waiting to talk to that person. And that's kind of like your that's like your, your escape path. Then like, if you're done with the conversation and another person steps up, you're like, okay, I'm going to head over here. And it's like a nice gracious way for you to leave that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So that <clears throat> V that open V formation is a great way to stand. One of the, uh, things that, um, I've kind of noticed in, um, some of the body language stuff that I've been watching 
is that when people are talking or they're nervous or whatever, um, a lot of times they're they're going to look in different areas. And some of the areas they look like if they want to leave, they're going to look at the door a lot. They're going to like turn their body that direction. They're going to want to, they're communicating that they want to get out of there. But they, at the same time, they're going to look to areas that are comforting to them or people that are maybe uh, engaging with them. And so if you're creating an environment where you know that the person you talk to, you're talking to is maybe playing with the change in their pockets or, you know, crossing their arms, being guarded or whatever else, but you're creating a welcoming environment for them, you're going to find them looking and talking to you more because that is a comfortable conversation with them. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I noticed this at an event that I was at not too long ago, and it was a guy standing alone at a table, which for me as a salesperson and whatever else, that's like the prime opportunity. So I just go and stand next to him. (laughs) And I didn't even say anything. I just kind of stood there and he started the conversation, but it was almost like he was waiting for somebody to come talk to him because he, as a, I think he's more introverted. So he, it just, it's very difficult for him to go talk to somebody, but if somebody comes to him, then uh, it, it makes the conversation that easy, that much easier. And the funny thing was, Pretty much the rest of the event, like anytime I was there, he'd, he'd start coming up to me and he would only talk to me. There was like literally like 75 other people there. And every time he'd come talk to me and hang out with me and I was like, man, that's kind of cool. Like I, just by me taking this one step to engage somebody who was kind of off and secluded, uh, it actually created conversation and created a, a cool relationship. Well, that is such a great example that you shared, Evan, and, and I'm really uh glad to hear that you did that. That shows that shows a lot of professionalism t- for two reasons. Number one, people are often uh, intimidated about introducing themselves to someone new or they see standing alone, a wall hugger, a lone mm-hmm. ranger. So first of all, that's great that you did that. And what you learned is this person appreciated it. Uh, in fact, research shows that most people have anxiety just thinking about going to any type <laughs> of social or business event. Just thinking about it, not even just being there, but just thinking about it. So when they get themselves there, first of all, that's 80% of the success is just Mm -hmm. getting yourself there. But the fact that you introduced yourself to him is a great way of showing professionalism. And obviously, you built rapport with him. I'm sure you asked him questions about what he did. You were interested in him. And when you do that, it the other person perceives you in a very, they hold you in high regard because you show interest in them and it makes them feel comfortable. And the fact that he sought you out several other times during the evening showed that you made him feel comfortable and had built rapport with him. So that's a great example of why it's important to introduce yourself to others. And you never know down the, lo- down the road Uh, there could be a beneficial relationship that's mutually beneficial to both you and this other person to do business Mm -hmm. together, or maybe they know someone who needs your services or what you do. So it's really a great example of taking that step and introducing yourself to someone new at an event. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things and I appreciate you 
uh, coming on here and, and sharing some of this stuff because I think this is all stuff that we're we're kind of navigating, especially when you're getting started and maybe you know you've been in a traditional uh, like retail type environment or something else, but now you're in more of the professional world and so you're 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 just constantly outside of your comfort zone. I think once you can have some of those conversations and recognize like here's some things I can do. These people are feeling the same way as me. Like you said, it gives you confidence in those situations, which will help accelerate some of those processes uh, that you're trying to load the accelerate your leadership process, but then also uh, strengthen and increase some of the relationships that you have as well. I always give my guests an opportunity to, to speak directly to the audience. Uh, we've talked about them a little bit. Uh, it's that next generation of business leaders. And, and what I always want to do is give you an opportunity to speak to that next generation. So this can be uh, some of the things that you've learned along in, in your leadership journey, or just some of the best practices that you've come across that you'd like to kind of share, or some of the things that you're kind of seeing uh, in today's uh, growing leaders that uh, you think would be beneficial to them. So Rachel, what's your message to young business leaders? Well, thank you, Evan, for giving me, first of all, for having me on your show. And secondly, I, uh, a couple of things I would be happy to share with uh, young business leaders. And really, these are some things that have I've gotten insight from, from just working and doing training with young professionals, because these are questions that come up from them. And I guess one of the things I would like to leave with your listeners are, we have to put our phone away. <laughs> we can't <laughs> let technology get in the way of relationship building. So I, I, I have to remind people that, you know what, we can't build trust and relationships at the same time we're taking a peek at our phone. So when I, I suggest when people are at um, networking events, even business lunches, first of all, the phone is not part of the place setting, so keep it away. And when you're at any kind of networking event, if you glance at your phone, it just sends a message that you're nervous. So mm -hmm. keep it tucked away. And give the person you're talking to 150% of your focus and your energy on them. Let them see you, let them hear you, or let them, let them see that you see them and that you hear them. Uh, so we just don't want phones to get in the way of relationship building. Uh, I would just say also to practice their small talk skills because being interested in others first is what helps others to want to listen to them. And I say a lot of times when you're in a conversation and building, uh, having small talk, don't think of it as superficial. Think of it as just a way to break the ice, put people at ease, but it, it builds rapport with people and small talk can pave the way a lot of times for bigger conversations, just like you were doing with the person at the event. So mm -hmm. small talk is an important skill. It's a learned skill. I always tell people, you don't have to be an extrovert. It's a learned skill. So I would just say, uh, those two things. And also, I guess one last thing is go from good to great. Sometimes it's people will tell me after the end of a training event, they'll say, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so there's always things to learn and do to assess yourself, see if you need to make any course adjustments so that you're taking yourself to not just from good, but to great, to a greater level of professionalism so that you can interact not only with coworkers, but with people who call you on the phone, but with other business people in a professional way, because it's a way to impact others and influence others and give a great impression as well of the company that a young, a young business person represents. So let's go from good to great in these skills. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. Rachel, thank you so much for being a part of this. I, I want to give you a quick opportunity. How do people connect with you? Uh, how do they find out some of these courses that you have and uh, learn more about what you do? Etiquettrainer.com is my website. And uh, I have many blog posts on the website that just take two to three minutes to read. And uh, I was honored this year to learn that my etiquette blog posts are number 12 out of the top 25 in the world. That was wow. a it was a Google award I had no idea was coming, so I say that to say I think they will be little little short reads for people to get information on lots of etiquette topics. I also have a Facebook page, Rachel Wagner Etiquette and Protocol. I often post blogs there as well. I would invite people to link in with me. I would love that. I love to be a resource for people. My phone number is nine one eight nine seven zero. 4,400. So in all of those ways, people can connect and get additional information. Fantastic. Rachel, thank you so much. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Thank you so much, Evan, for having me.